of this series, Win at Home. And I've had such a great time over the past few weeks talking about, in the first week, how to lead yourself well, how to lead yourself and, and how to inspire your family. The second week, we talked about creating an atmosphere of love, setting that thermostat on love, right? And then last week, we talked about having a long view, right? What do we want to be said of our family after we're gone? And what's the short view? Creating a rallying cry for our family for the short term. And what are we really working on right now? But this week, we're going to talk about, about some best practices, okay? I love best practices. I love researching. I love reading. Um, I'll read books over again just because they're so good. And, and, and best practices help us live better. And I really believe that God put people in this world with wisdom. Uh, and they write things down that are going to help us and help us live life to honor God, because really when, you, when I talk about best practices, that is the goal. I want to honor Jesus with every single area of my life. Uh, just like the, uh, it says, I believe in Galatians, it says, let the Holy Spirit have control of every area of your life, right? Not just an experience in church, not just, you know, the things that are comfortable for me, but in every area. And so let's dig into some pra best practices for winning at home today. How many of you know crazy stuff happens in life, right? It's like you're going on in life and things are great and, and then all of a sudden a curveball hits you, right? Maybe you, you got sick or maybe the relationship that used to be just rock solid is kind of falling apart. You know, maybe one of your kids gets hurt. Um, you know, all kinds of things can happen that just totally come out of left field. You know, maybe you, you start to get a little depressed or anxi anxiety starts to well up in your soul. But so... When you go through things like this, it's so much better when you have a church family. So much better. And so today we're really going to talk about incorporating the church, the body of Christ, into your family routine. I believe it's the best practice that you can do in your family by having a consistent presence at church. So many times I've seen when people suffer, when life hits them, when things get crazy, they run away instead of running in. When they get tired, when the schedule goes bonkers, when it's just life is coming at you 90 to nothing, instead of pressing in, they run away. They self-isolate. They isolate instead of congregate. Have you ever seen that happen in your life? It's like, oh, I just don't have time. It's kind of the equivalent of if you have a fight at home with your family. Ever been there? I have regularly. <laughs> and it's like you're having one of those family discussions, and, and it gets to that point where it's just kind of that boiling, boiling over point, and things are just, you know, you just can't take being in the room anymore. So, so what does somebody do? They go to their room, and they slam the door. You ever been there? Go to the room, slam the door. See, that's our natural response when stuff tough happens. I'm just going to go in my room and I'm going to slam the door in life and I'm just going to put my fingers in my ears and I'm just going to act like it's not there. I know I've wanted to do that before. It's like life is just so hard that I just want to be alone. And unfortunately, so much of the time when life happens, we do that to the body of Christ. We do that to church. And when I say church today, I'm not talking about the institution I'm not talking about the organization. I'm not talking about just this building. I'm not just talking about the family that is Mosaic. I'm talking about the community of believers that is called the church. Because you and I were never made to go through life alone. God gave you your family, your actual 
blood relatives, your immediate family, and he also gave you a spiritual family. And every single one of you is meant to be a part of that spiritual family. Here's a clarifying question for you as we dig into today's message. What's the first thing to go when times get tough? Think about it. What's the first thing that gets scratched off the calendar? What do we scratch off the schedule when life happens? Kids are in sports. They're in the musicals. They're in the plays. I'm running all over 90 to nothing. I've got three kids, and, and we've been in seasons where all three of them were in sports. One time I was crazy enough, maybe stupid is a better word, to coach all three of them at the same time on different teams. I don't recommend it, and hopefully I've learned from that mistake. And it's just like when life goes crazy, it's, you know, th those are the times you just want to go back and tell your younger self, like, what were you thinking, right? And so, but when life happens like that, and maybe you get yourself a little overcommitted, maybe things are just more than you can bear, what goes first? What's the priority? So much of the time, church is the first thing to go. And I'm not just saying that because I'm your pastor. I'm saying it because I've seen it and I've seen the effects that it has on our life. Our text today is going to be Luke 2, 41 through 52. Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. So if you want to turn there with me in your Bibles, you can follow along in your notes or on the app today. And we're going to read this passage together. It starts off and says, every year, I love that, underline that. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended a festival the festival as usual. Write that down or underline that. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their other, their relatives and friends. Life happened to Jesus' family too. Isn't this great? It's like if you've ever had the panic feeling of losing a child, you can put yourself right in Mary and Joseph's shoes. They're probably freaking out, going crazy because Jesus is nowhere to be found. Jesus is right at that tween age. Um, that's what we call them these days. You know, tween, and, and tweeners these days are right in between the, 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 the childhood years and the teenage years. And today they're just getting going. You know, but back then, man, a 12-year-old was already doing all kinds of things that, that unfortunately our 12-year-olds today uh, don't do. But Jesus was this 12-year-old. He's lost, but I love it. And here's why. Number one, our first point, the thing we're going to draw out of this story today is that we need to expect great things are going to happen at church. Expect that great things will happen at church. I love this story. Because the first thing that we see is that going to God's house was a part of their family rhythm. It was a priority. So not only did they probably attend the synagogue every week back in Nazareth, but every year they had this tradition. And actually it was three times a year where if they lived within a certain distance of uh, Jerusalem, they would make the trek for these special festivals and, and, and ceremonies. And, and, and how cool is that? That their calendar was actually built around God's schedule 
not the schedule dictated to them by culture. And so there's all kinds of things that just from this first passage you can deduce for your life that my calendar and my schedule and the priorities of my family need to be led by godly priorities, not worldly priorities. Because the first thing we see is that going to God's house was a part of their family rhythm. It was a priority. I choose to think when I read this particular story that Jesus was having such a great time at the festival that he didn't even want to leave, right? That he didn't even notice that they were leaving. Um, Now, I know he's Jesus, and so he probably knew. He was fully God. He's fully man. But I just think it's cool because I've been there having such a great time at some party or at church that I I hid from my parents. Did you ever do that? It's like I don't want my parents to see me because if I can just hide out and have fun with my friends, maybe I get to stay here a little bit longer. Can anybody relate to that? Some of you, you try to leave after church on Sunday, and it's like, where are my kids, right? They gone. I think I told you recently that my parents left me at church sleeping under the back pew one Sunday and literally went home and locked the church and came back at 11 o'clock that night to get me. And so I've got a little personal uh, attachment to this story, getting left behind. But when I was growing up, church and home were pretty synonymous, right? Church felt like home, and home felt like church, and, and it was like I was not more or less comfortable at either place. They were both amazing places for me, and I'm so thankful for that. I realize that everybody doesn't have that experience, but that's just, I'm just telling you, that's my story. That's how it got for me. And in my family, it was a priority. Nothing got in its way. You know what my mom and dad used to say if, like, there was some sport thing or school thing that came up on a Sunday or Wednesday? Nope. It was just a hard no. And, and, and it, was, there was, it was just not an option. Now, full disclosure, uh, my kids have missed a Wednesday night for a sport game. And so I don't, this isn't an absolute, like I'm not looking down on you or your family if you miss a, a, a service now and then. That's not the point. The point is not, is not legalism here. The point is what truly has a priority in my life. And my time at church, it was partly because of quality time. It was partly because of quantity time. We spent so much time at church that I just loved the place, Right? And honestly, you're going to feel pretty comfortable at a place that you're flipping transparencies at three times a week. Some of you old-timers, you know what I mean. There used to be this thing that, with a light in it that would project the words onto the wall. We didn't have these fancy screens and whatnot. And there were these clear pieces of paper with the words on it. And if you were really lucky, you got to be the transparency flipper. <laughs> Any other fellow transparency flippers in the house? Anybody? Oh, we got some. Yes. These are my people. And so I thought I was big stuff. I got to go to church and flip the transparencies, and it was awesome. You know, that play, it was that place for me in my life where I couldn't wait to hang out with my friends while my parents talked forever. And I'm like, Mom and Dad, the longer you talk, the better it is, right? Why? Because there was this expectation that had been created in my life that something great is going to happen at church, Not just in the service, but in friendships and life and activities. It was a part of our family rhythm. And so, man, what I want to get down deep in your heart and your soul today is that great things can happen at church. Today is a a special day in the church calendar. 
not our church calendar, but the church, big C church calendar. It's the day of Pentecost, and you saw the short little video about that earlier. This is the day that we celebrate the fact that those 120 people did what Jesus asked. They went to the upper room in Jerusalem and waited for the gift that Jesus said would come, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus told his disciples and his followers, go to Jerusalem and wait until I send the helper who's going to help you through life. It's going to help you overcome sin. It's going to help you be my witnesses. It's going to be what you need to do what I have done and more. Isn't that so cool? Jesus told his disciples, you're going to do even greater things than I've done because of the Holy Spirit. And so since the dawning of the church, great things have happened at church. You beca be See, because this upper room where they were meeting, it didn't have a church sign out front. It didn't have a steeple on the top. But wherever two or three gathered in his name, he's right there among them. Because you see, the real essence of the church is the people. It's not a building. Man, we could burn, we're not going to burn this building down, but we could, and we could start over to tomorrow. Be and we're still the church. Because the church isn't a building, it's a people. It's the family of God. This building is an incredible tool that we have to use to leverage the gospel of Jesus Christ. But on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the people gathered. It says that they gathered in one accord. The Holy Spirit came. It was like the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Tongues of fire rested on every single one of them. There wasn't like one special one like Peter. You know, not, it, the fire wasn't just on him. It was on every single one of them. Why? Because great things happen at church. Great things happen when people come together in one accord and lift up the name of Jesus. Wasn't it special a few minutes ago when we were all singing in one accord, God, you're so good. It's like we could say that and sing that together for all of eternity. And by the way, you will if, you're follow, if you follow Jesus. And that could be enough. Because when people come together and lift up the name of Jesus, we're doing what we were created to do. And we have these incredible moments. We have these incredible friendships. And when the, the disciples did that in the upper room, this Holy Spirit came. They were filled with the Spirit. They began to speak of the amazing things that God had done in all kinds of different languages. All the people out on the streets heard them singing, saying the wonders of God in their own language. Peter steps out on the stoop. He preaches this amazing sermon, and over 3,000 people were added to the church that day. Why? Because great things happen at church. Now, some people are down on the church. And when they say the church, they are really, if they're really honest with themselves, they mean someone hurt me at church. They're, they really mean that, man, I don't like what happened to me at church. And nine times out of the ten, nine times out of ten, it's interpersonal. It has to do with relationships, right? I'm offended. But listen, don't confuse someone's sin with Jesus' intent. Don't confuse someone's sin and what they did to you with Jesus' hope for you and the plan for your life. Because I still believe with all my heart and I believe it's scriptural that the church is still the hope of the world. It's still Jesus' chosen instrument to spread the gospel to every single nation. Great things that have happened in my life happened at church. I met Jesus at church. 
I have the best friends I've ever had in the world at church. The best memories that I look back on were at church. I experienced a call to ministry, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit at church. I learned to get along with people and how to do relationships at church. I messed up a lot along the way too, but I learned how to do it at church. I learned how to forgive people at church. I traveled and did so many firsts in my life, like snow skiing and camping because of church, with church people. I sang publicly for the first time at church. I met my wife because of what happened to me, because I was following following the call of God on my life at church. I know that my kids are who they are today because we have been consistently at church. Listen, though, many times we don't connect or expect God to do great things at church because we don't give it enough time or effort. We have a consumeristic mindset. We go to church and it's way more about, like, feed me. I'm here to, I'm here to be served, not to serve. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, Joe, that's great that that happened to you at your church and that happened to you, but that don't happen here. And I just want to lovingly challenge you today by saying, hey, you want a friend? You want to connect? Be a friend. You have the friends you want. I've got the friends I want. And if somebody doesn't want to be your friend, they're lost. Move on. Find somebody else. If you want a friend, be a friend. You get in what you, or you get out what you put in. Like we said a couple weeks ago, you're going to reap what you sow when it comes to great things happening at church. So we are the church. Be the change that you want to see in your church. The second thing that we see from this story is the number two, expect to be transformed by God's word. Expect to be transformed by God's word. In verse 45, the story continues. It says, when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to serve him or to search for him there. Three days later. Just think about that as a parent. Put yourself in those words. Three days later. Can you imagine the amount of anxiety that you would be feeling three days later? I can only imagine. It, 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 would, it would go, it would, you know, vacillate between, um, the mom would be like, like incredibly like freaking out and sad, like, oh my gosh, where's my baby? And then on the other hand, mama is like, I'm going to kill that kid. <laughs> right? When I get my hands on him, oh my goodness, he's going to get it. And so all the emotions that you're going to feel when it's like, man, where's my kid? What's happened to them? And why are we going through this? And so I just can't even imagine all the, all the emotions. So three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple. So basically at church. They, they discovered him in the temple sitting among the religious leaders, li- religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now we know this is Jesus. He's the son of God. He's fully God. He's fully man. And so it's understandable that, that he would maybe have just a little bit of a leg up. Right? But three days later, 
Think about that, with, that from, from the perspective of a 12-year-old. Listen, I can't st sit still these days for more than 20 minutes, <laughs> right? Unless I got something really good that I'm working on or thinking about. I can't get my kids to sit still for more than 20 minutes. Can I get an amen? Right? They always want to be doing something. They want to be engaged. And so the thought that a 12-year-old is for three days digging into Scripture and digging into God's Word, man, it's because something great happened at church. 12 years old. Listen, for a 12-year-old Hebrew Israelite boy, it was normal for that child to attempt that by 12 years old, they will have attempted to memorize the entire Torah or the first five books of the Bible that you have. Memorized. That was like their goal, that by the age of 12, they're going to put to heart and be able to recite verbally, by memory, the entire first five books of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. If you've ever read those books, you're like, whoa, that would be a feat and a half for anyone, let alone a 12-year-old, to be able to do that. Jesus was obviously hungry to internalize and discuss God's word. And we think about that in, in contrast to our current day situation where kids have trouble paying attention to anything besides a screen for more than five minutes, right? And we just think about, man, do I really expect to be transformed by the word of God in my life? And, and does that expectation breed maybe a different reality and a different rhythm and a different focus and some different choices and some different behaviors in my home? And I'm not just talking for the people that have kids. I'm talking about, man, collectively, what is our passion and expectation when it comes to, be when it comes to being transformed by the word of God? Parents, leaders, adults, here's what I know. We teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. We teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. And so if there's no hunger for God's word in my home, I've first got to look at my own life. I've got to first look at my own schedule, at my, my choices. Am I expecting to be transformed by God's word? Jesus modeled a hunger for God's word. Man, anticipation is a powerful thing. And, and you just got to think, if Jesus is going to sit in the temple for three days and just discuss this stuff and pour over God's word with these guys, man, he must have been anticipating something good. Listen, if I'm not hungry for God's word, if I'm not anticipating for God's word to change my life, it's because I'm anticipating for something else. I'm hungry for something else. There's other priorities in my life. What are you willing to do? What am I willing to do to develop a hunger for God's word? Am I willing to give up some things that have been taking its place, whether it's TV or, or social media or, or other priorities, other hobbies, other things that are good things? And I'm not saying you need to stop entirely, but maybe they're crowding out all the margin that you might have to grow a hunger and an expectation for God's word to transform your life. Could it be that Jesus was more grown up at 12 than, than I am at 40? Could it be that Jesus 
showed us the way even at such a young age. Listen, we're so stuck in the blame game that we've lost our focus. We've lost our ability to choose. Man, well, if it weren't for this, then I would. If it weren't for this, I would. Right? But here's, here's what we know. Anticipation precedes change. If I'm expecting, I'm anticipating, I'm scheduling for it. If I'm anticipating for God to do something special in my life, it's probably going to happen. Why do we know this? Because we see that the blind man cried out to Jesus and Jesus heard him and healed him. We see that Zacchaeus climbed a tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus. Jesus didn't only see him, he came to his house and met with him. Right? The centurion anticipated Jesus could help him. And he said Jesus didn't even have to come to his house to heal his servant. Jesus just did it. The anticipation was there. The woman with the issue of blood, she just knew she just needed to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. She'd been struggling with this issue for, for I think, 12 years. And, but she anticipated and she expected that God would move on her behalf if she could just get close to Jesus. And what happened? As soon as she touched the hem of his garment, she... Jesus felt the power go out of him and heal her because she expected to be transformed when she got close to Jesus. The 120 in the upper room in the day of Pentecost were anticipating that what Jesus said would come to pass. They expected to be transformed by Jesus' words. Are you expecting God, for God to do something? I love the quote that says, expectancy is the breeding ground for miracles. Some people say, well, Joe, I just don't want to get my hopes up. Because if I don't get my hopes up, then I won't get let down. Have you ever felt that way? Can you imagine if Jesus would have taken that attitude with us when he went to the cross? Well, maybe I won't because I don't want to, I don't want to do this ultimate sacrifice and then people just ignore it. But he didn't. He went all the way for you and for me. He died on a cross so that you and I could be free. You know, Jesus expects the best about you and me. He expects victory. He expected victory when he went to the cross. He knew and he actually told people ahead of time. He said, you know what? I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to be struck down. But three days later, I'm going to rise from the grave. So he expected great things to happen. Why? Because he knew God's word. He knew the prophecies in the Old Testament that said that, hey, he's not going to stay in the grave. He's going to rise again. So why and how can you expect great things when you get in God's word, when you come to church, when you're transformed by God's word? Because Jesus expects you to be victorious. He expects you to be more than a conqueror. He's not surprised when you make the right choice. You might be. I know I am sometimes. I'm like, look at me. I did it. Woohoo! Right? But Jesus expects you to make the right choice. He's not surprised when his word works in your life. He's not surprised when his word sets you free. He expects it. And listen, today, I don't say this to beat you up and make you feel bad about yourself. I'm just trying to help you to maybe adjust and have a little bit different perspective when you dig into God's word this week, when you come to church, that man, we come eager and ready for God to do something incredible in our life. The third thing, the third best practice that we can look at today when, when we're trying to win at home is that 
We need to talk about it all the time. Talk about it all the time. Right? So we're going to expect that great things are going to happen at church. We're going to expect to be transformed by the power of God's word. And then third best practice, man, we're just going to talk about it all the time. In verse 48 through 52, they had a little conversation. Right? They finally found Jesus at the temple. And it says, his parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. Jesus says, but why did you need to search? Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. How cool is this? Have you ever had a moment in your life where, or in your family's life where you're like, man, we need to, we need to make some adjustments. We need to you know, realign our priorities. We need, to, we need to have a conversation. And how many of you know that it's not always the parent telling the kid what's up, that sometimes your kids have these pearls of wisdom and they see things in your life and maybe they say something that, that kind of like, oh, wow, you see that? You heard that? And you realize even from your kid that, that some things need to change. But I just love the conversation. I love that they talked about it. This is actually the first known time that Jesus alludes to the fact that he's the Messiah from his own words. He's like, Mom and Dad, you know, why would you expect me to be anywhere else but my father's house? So I love this. Jesus and his parents are having a, this family discussion. Life had happened, right? The parents didn't understand the teenage son. Have you ever been there? You don't understand your kid. You don't understand what's going on in their life. But we do see that Jesus' hunger for God's word and his hunger for God directly affected his growth, his trajectory, both with God and with other people. That because God's word was a priority in Jesus' life, he grew up. He grew up. Listen, the rest of your family doesn't have to be perfect for you to be expectant or pursue God's word. Some of you teenagers, you might think, well, I don't see my parents doing X, Y, Z. Hey, lead the way. Some of you um, uh, parents, you, maybe you're middle age and, and you've got parents in your life, you know, that, that maybe you moved out of the house, but they're still there and you still look at them like for wisdom and, you're, and they might not set the example, but hey, lead up, set the example for them. It's never too late to set the example for your family. You're never too far gone. Your family's never too far gone. Set the example of what it looks like to hunger for God. And one way that you can do it is talk about it all the time. Not in an annoying way, but in just a natural way. Talk about your relationship with Jesus. Point to him as the source of all good things in your life. Deuteronomy 6, 7 through 9 says, repeat them again and again to your children. Repeat what? This is talking about the laws of God, the, the heart of God. Right before this passage, was, it, it's when, you know, the verse in the whole Testament that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And then right after, it's like, okay, all this stuff that God's telling you to do and, and the heart of God for your life, 
Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, if we contextualize this for our life today, you might not be writing stuff on your forehead. You know, you might get some crazy looks and and that might be a little counterproductive if you want to gain influence with some people. But the principle is the same. What's on your lips? What is overflowing out of your heart? The abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so I think it's a great practice to include Christ, to include what he's doing in your life in your everyday and normal conversations. Parents in the car, driving places, it's a great time because you have their captive attention. You know, maybe you just instituted a new rule in your house. Hey, phones are off while we're in the car, or at least not in your hand. You, you put it in your bag. You put it away, and this is talk time. Hey, at the dinner table, we're going to talk. And not, no, we're not just going to talk. We're going to talk about how things are going and, and the goodness of God. We're going to talk about it all the time. Love that. How about answer this question? While everyone else is... Fill in the blank. What will you be doing? When everybody else is watching TV or when everybody else is, you know, obsessed with, you know, whatever they're obsessed with, what will you be doing? What could you, where and how in your schedule could you interject this talk time? Talking about it when you get up and when you go to bed. How can you adjust your family routine to where these kind of conversations happen? And I think... This is a both-hand thing between scheduled and just natural, right? Because if you try to schedule everything, it kind of takes the life out of it. It becomes an event instead of just a lifestyle. And so I I suggest, man, just bringing it up randomly and having scheduled times where you talk about stuff. But while everyone else is doing what they do, watching TV, sleeping in, you know, committing their whole entire life to sports and nothing else, like nothing else is a priority higher than sports. You know, out on the boat, showing the animals, those are all good things. But remember the question at the beginning, what gets cut first? What gets scratched off the list first? Unfortunately, it's usually church. But listen, if you want something to be different in your home, if if you want to win at home, if you want to lead your kids now so that Someday when they grow old, they won't depart. If you want to set the best possible example that you could, can for your family, then you're going to have to answer this question. While everybody else is doing that, what what are we going to be doing? And some of those things you can do and just include the conversations. Like when you're on the boat, you're talking about them. When you're going to and from the game, you're talking about them. You're talking about who you're leading to Christ. Man, me and my family, we've, 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 been, sports, we've been a sports family. And one of the coolest things was seeing our, the people from our sports teams come to church. One summer when I was coaching my son's baseball team, um, I think four or five of the kids on the baseball team and their parents got baptized that summer. And it was just, and this was after years and years and years of investment. And all of a sudden it just like blew up in a good way all at one time. And it was like, man... How many of you know we talked about it a lot? We're like, this is amazing. And so 
talk about it all the time. If you want something different than what everyone else has, you need to do different things than they are doing. And one of it comes down to the conversations. Are you willing to give up something good for God's best? Listen, church, this isn't a constraint on your life. This is a call to something better. Jesus' way is always better. So what's our response as we close today? You know, what's our response to expecting God to do th great things at church? Make church a priority in your life. Get your kids in the kids program. Get your youth in the youth group. Man, get yourself in a life group. I'm not saying uh, you, know, you don't have to do it. Uh, it's not a have to. Like if there's a semester, like this summer just doesn't work for you, get, one in, get, get in one in the fall. Figure out something that works for your rhythms. Figure out something that, that you can do to say, God, you really are a priority. What's our response to expecting God's word to transform our life? Man, develop a hunger for God's word. Develop a hunger for God's word. That might include fasting something else so that you're driven to God's word. What's the response to that third point about talking about it all the time? And what are some changes we need to make in the conversations of our home? How can we talk about it more? When can we talk about it more? Write it down. Get specific. Man, if you're here today as we close and you haven't yet given your heart and your life to Christ, if you could just, if everybody in this room could just bow your heads and close your eyes. See, the reason for all this is because Jesus, just like the songs we sang today, he came, he died on a cross so that you and I could be free. He rose again on the third day. He put himself in your place. Because you, you see, you and I, we deserve to be on that cross. But because Jesus died on that cross, because he was the perfect sacrifice for our sin, we didn't have to. And so maybe the first step for you today is to give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says when you put your faith and trust in him, when you confess him as your Lord and your Savior, you can be saved. And so, man, I never want a service to go by where you don't have an opportunity to do that. And so if that's you today and you just say, Joe, I want to follow Jesus. I want to put him first in my life. Maybe you've been thinking about it for a while and today's your day. So if that's you today and you say, I want, I want to decide to follow Jesus today. If that's you, just raise your hand. I'd love to pray for you today. Amen. Amen. Maybe you're here today and you say, Joe, <coughs> Priorities. I've gotten off just a little bit. And I need to put this message to heart. And just before God today, I want to make a commitment. God, I'm going to expect for great things to happen at church, even if you've been hurt in the past, even if things, things have happened maybe at church that were less than desirable for you. You're going to say, hey, God, because the church is your plan and your hope for the world, man, I'm, I'm going to give it my best shot. I'm going to expect for great things to happen at church. I'm going to expect to be transformed out of your word. And, and I'm going to bring these conversations home. If you just want to make a family commitment or even a, a just a commitment on, on, on your, your own behalf today to do that, if that's you, as I, as I close this in prayer today, just raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you. God, I thank you for every single person that is committing today to put you first in their family. God, we want to, we want to implement these practices in our home. God, we want to put you first. We want you to be a priority in our life. And so, God, we just surrender to you. We just pray through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can help us to follow you. In Jesus' name. God, we want to hunger for great experiences with you. God, we want to hunger 
for you to be, to be transformed by your word. Jesus, we want to, to be excited to apply your word to our lives. God, to talk about it when we go out and when we come in, when we get up and when we go to bed at night. God, we want it to be on our lips. Jesus, fill our heart with your, hearts with your goodness. God, help us to focus on you. Help us to make the tough changes in our priorities and our schedules to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us online at Mosaic Church. We hope today's message was life-changing and useful. For more info, visit mosaiccincinnati.com.